You know, I'd like to thank you guys all. You know, I know that uh, we, put it, we put in a hard, hard week. And I, for me, I know this is always one of the highlights of my week is just being able to get here with a bunch of guys, uh, loving the Lord, loving on each other, laughing and joking, making fun of each other, of course, because you got to do that. That's right. Uh, so, again, we're going to continue in Psalm 120, uh, 119. I have the uh, luxury of teaching out of uh, verses 121 all the way to 144. I will tell you that, you know, Bruce challenged us all to read that, and it took me a lot longer to get there, but I got there. Um, and then he said, I want you to teach on these three passages. And I've spent most of the last month going, how do you only teach on part of these three passages when... Uh, so we're, I, I decided we're going to go ahead and do it. It's going to take about two and a half hours tonight. But I think we can get through it because there's some excellent stuff in here. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to read one section at a time and then we'll discuss it and then uh, we'll go through it that way. So let me read that for us. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good and let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the, for the film, fulfillment, easy for me to say, and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold and above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right, and I hate every false way. Uh, so I will say, when, when he told me we were teaching now Psalm 119, and I read it the first time, and I saw that uh, there's a tendency immediately to go, I'm teaching week eight, man. All the good stuff's going to be used up. Because it it, it's all about how much we love God's word. And you're like, well, how do you, how do you improve upon that? Uh, and, and keep working on it. And, you know, the truth is, as I read it, this scripture is so rich and so full of truths that it's just absolutely amazing. And like Steve said, I do feel like, so I, I do teach in ABFs and I've taught for a number of years in, in nursing home ministries and stuff like that. And you know what? Every time I decide to teach on a certain book or a certain chapter and I study in it, and that always ends up being my favorite chapter. It always ends up being my favorite book because it's just so rich in the amount. I think everybody, we all should, and I missed out on a long portion of my life when I wasn't teaching on not studying God's word like I was going to teach it because there's so much depth to it. So to get started, uh, he, goes, he goes for it. He goes, I've done what is just and right and do not leave me to my oppressors. Our first point is love is a commandments, and we're going to kind of summarize the whole section uh, and we know most of Psalm 119 is love is commandments. Read it, memorize it, know it, live by it. <clears throat> I thought it interesting that he started it with, I've done what is just and right. That's kind of a bold statement, don't you think? He is telling God that I have done what is just and what is right. But then I think, you know, we compare ourselves to others or we compare ourselves or do we compare ourselves to God's righteousness I think he's looking around in a lost time where there's a lot of issues going on in the world and he's going well look at me compared to them is there a tendency for us in the church to do that well God I'm not as screwed up as the rest of this world we don't compare ourselves to the righteousness of this world. If we did, we would always look better. Just ask us, right? We compare ourselves to a righteous and perfect and loving and kind and merciful and gracious God. That's where the comparison comes into. But I think he was okay in saying this because we read the first uh, 120 verses and we know where he's coming from. He's basically praying. He's not praying the prayer like in Luke 18 when uh, Jesus was talking about the Pharisee that stood up for everybody in front of everybody and says, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner, this publican, this tax collector. He's not praying like that. He's praying according to God's word. He's praying according to God's uh, will. 
Uh, and he's, he says, give me a pledge, give me a pledge of good and let not the insolent oppress me. Um, when you read that word insolent, uh, you can, it's easy to skip by some of these words in this chapter, but he says, let not the insolent. Insolent means to be deliberately and, and almost to a point of disrespectful and rude, knowing the truth, but completely denying the truth, operating opposite. So what's the caveat there? What's the the reverse of that, the reverse of that is basically saying they know the truth, right? These are people who claim to know God that he's speaking about, and they're deliberately acting contrary to the will of God. They're being bold, they're being rude, they're being disrespectful, uh, whatever you want to say, but they know God's word, and they're doing the opposite, and you have, like I said, you have to be familiar with something to be disrespectful of it. In verse 127, he says, you have to treat it like it's your most valued possession. I didn't realize, I guess he's talking about 10 karat gold versus 24 karat gold. He goes, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, even above fine gold. That's mean taking God's word as one of your most valued possessions. Living every day as if God's word matters. Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. But do we live every day like God's word is what we keep locked in the safe in our heart and let that model our behavior on a daily basis? And we're all in here in different walks of life. We come from different areas and some of us, you know, are retired and some of us are still just getting started. Uh, and, it's, and I will tell you as somewhere in the middle or upper middle of that age bracket, um, there were times in my life when I was focused on work and I was focused on building up my reputation at work so that I could start my career and be that guy. And uh, I wasn't paying much attention to God's word. He didn't have a treasured place in my heart. Yeah, I loved him. He knew I loved him, right? Don't we have that? I got that relationship with God. We're good. We've all done that. Maybe, well, I'll tell you what, I've done that. I hate to put the figure at so many guys that could gang up on me. Second point is he goes, he asks God to act according to his word. Almost as a, well, if I'm right, God, if I'm right according to my understanding of your word, if, I, if I'm right and my observations of what's going on in this messed up world, um, or if I'm not missing something, it's time for you to act. How many of us, how many of us have said or have talked to somebody who said, this world can't, co can't come to the end anytime too soon? I know I said that really messed up, right? Surely God's coming quickly because this world can't get any more screwed up. You ever heard anybody say that? You know what? I bet they said that in ancient Roman times too. I bet they said that when in ancient Greeks and and I bet the Israelites said that when they were in slavery to Egypt. And I bet the Israelites said it again when they were enslaved in Babylon. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden is, you know, the only difference is it's us. Right? We're looking around. We're seeing a world without the influence of God being prevalent in the way that we think it's supposed to be. And we think it's the end of the world. But it's not. It's not. We need to ask God to act according to his word. But here's the thing. That's a dangerous prayer. Because he could be saying... Yes, I will act according to my words, Sean. Get out there and get busy. Right? We're all called to evangelize. We're all called to bring people to Christ, to be setting the standard. But if we ask God to act according to his will, I'm one of his chosen, I'm his servant, right? Just like the psalmist is saying. I'm his servant, and he may very well call on me to get out there and do something and put my money where my mouth is. So you have to be careful. There are several instances in the Bible we had... Uh, Moses, when he came down off the mountain and they had built the golden calf, right? Or created the golden calf and golden calf, and they were worshiping the golden calf. And God says, just, just step to the side, Moses. I'm going to lay these people out. We'll start again with just you and your family. And, and Moses says what? He says, this is not going to make you look good, God, right? They're going to say, you just brought these people out of the wilderness to slaughter them. Now, I know that whenever there's this situation and, 
There is no human being that is speaking wisdom into the ear of God to change his mind. There was more there for Moses to learn that he was supposed to know his Lord and be able to call upon his Lord and his character in his life. And I think that was a test for Moses. And the same thing, uh, same thing happened with Abraham when he wanted to uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham said, surely Lot, in his mind, he's thinking, surely Lot has converted somebody, somebody in Sodom and Gomorrah to love the Lord other than just his family. But even if he converted his whole family, I'm sure there's enough people in there to save the whole town. You surely won't destroy a whole entire city or if there's 50 righteous people in there and God says, no, not 50. Well, what about 45, God? Okay, not for the sake of 45, 40, 30. Forgive me, Lord. How about 20? Forgive me again, Lord. How about 10? No, not even for 10. And Abraham thinks, surely Lot has done his job. And God goes in and rescues how many? Four. And how many really make it out? Three. Right? So it's a dangerous prayer to ask God to act on his character if you're not willing to do it also. My wife and I recently, not recently, it's been a little over three years now, we decided in our in our mid late 40s that we were going to adopt and we found a young man uh, our son Quincy on a uh, adoption website and we have done all the work to adopt him and uh, we started praying God is if this is according to your will if this is according to your will right all the ask God according to his will in <clears throat> um, James it says it's your spiritual act of worship is to take care of widows and orphans. Right? So I have the affirmation of his word. I have the affirmation in our prayer life. Uh, but then COVID hit, and now we're over three years into this process. Do we quit because it's hard for us? It's still God's word. It's still God's word. And then I like the fact that uh, towards, uh, that he says, act not, it's time for you to act, God. I keep doing this. That's that's the problem. That's got that. Told you I'm getting to the upper middle of that age bracket. He says, uh, "It's time for the Lord to act. For your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commands above gold, above fine gold." Uh, but he's he says, "Don't act because of me." He's already said that he's being oppressed. He's also already saying that he's being oppressed by insolent people. Um, but he says, "Don't act." Be- I'm not asking you to act because they're holding me back. I'm asking you to act because I'm offended by the way they treat you. There's a lot of things that's going on in our world today. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things that we should take offense to. Um, but do we take offense for the things that are offending God rather than ourselves? Are we, is that our first and foremost, the thing that we think of when we see behaviors on the TV or on the internet or people walking down the street? Is that the first thing we're offended for? Because God's, God is being offended and not just because, oh, I think that's disgusting or I think that's weird or I don't think that's right. right? It's always a I don't think that's right. More so than, well, God's, God's offense. The last point in this section is hate every false way. Do you hate every false way? This is a tricky one, right? Do you hate every false way? Because if you hate every false way, then we hate all sin, right? If we hate all sin, do we hate all sin or just other people's? You know, I get really offended by other people's sin, but sometimes not so by mine, right? I, I'm okay. I can, I'm, I'm working on it, but man, you're disgusting me, right? Hate every false way. So not just worldliness, uh, even... In, our, in other believers, um, people that compromise the word of God just to fit in. We shouldn't be surprised that the world behaves badly. We knew it would behave badly. But when the churches are starting to look like the world, just because they don't want to lose membership or just because they don't want to offend somebody, um, there's, a way, there's a way to get God's word across to people because that's our job without fighting with people. 
I know contrary to what we see in the news, even whether it's the news outlet, outlet that you like to watch or the news outlet that you don't like to watch, they set people up on both sides and they scream at each other. And then all of a sudden, we're watching this garbage and we go to some place and we find somebody who's of a different mindset than us and we're having the same argument and fight and debate. That's not what God would have us do as believers. Do we win people to him by fighting with them? I got in trouble at a dinner night one night like that because my wife was like, I have a, another teacher that wanted to talk to you and see what you believed about such and such. And I railed it, man. I went home just pounding it, pointing. My wife was like, Sean, Sean, settle down. It was supposed to be a conversation. I'm like, well, that's how Sean Hannity did it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. In James 4, verses 4 through 6, and that's not right. James 4, 5 and 6. Oh, guess what? I turned to 2 Corinthians. You could see why I was so messed up. (laughs) That is not what I thought it was going to say. In James 5, verses 4 and 6, he says, Behold, the wages of laborers who mowed the fields. That, That is not either. All right, one more time, and then I'm going to give up. All right, there it is. All right, you go. James 4, verses 5 and 6, he says this. Therefore, whoever wishes to be friends with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose this to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace and therefore says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James talks about this risk of us wanting not to upset people, of us wanting to fit in. Uh, What's the word he says there about what we become to God if we're trying more to please men than than him? We become his what? No? Enemy. I know I picked three different pages before I read the right one, so I probably threw you off, but we... There's enmity between us and God when we decide to sit on both sides of the fence. Either we love God and hate the world or we love the world and hate God. He's jealous for the relationship of our spirit with his. The next section in verse 129, he says, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant. Because I long for you and your commandments, turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servants and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. The first point in this section is let his word direct your life. He's basically saying your testimonies are wonderful. That's that's why my soul keeps them. He goes, the unfolding of your word. He says unfolding of your word. I think that's a priceless expression. He said it gives light and it imparts understanding. It's a light into my path, right? 105. All we... And so I look at that and I think it reminds me of, and for <clears throat> some of us remember this and some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but remember when you used to get in a car and you wanted to go from Ohio to Florida, you had to get this paper thing and it was folded like three ways and then you had to open it up, right? It was a map. You lay it out on the hood and you chart your course and you got the highlighter out, but you don't want to get too much magic marker in it in case you made a mistake, right? And you start going by, I have to go, and how many ever used the ruler to get the gauge out there to figure out how many miles it was, right? Yeah, so 
Yeah, I am older than I feel. But anyway, I look at that, right? I, I look at this word picture when he says, I'm unfolding. He says, I, the unfolding of your words gives light. The unfolding of that map for directions, right? The unfolding of God's word gives light. It directs our path. It gives us direction. I, I just like, first of all, I love the way that the psalmist wrote Psalm 119. And it took me studying this series to realize how much I really enjoyed it and going back and just really dwelling on it. But he's talking about uh, giving light. And I love that, that there's, there's eight lines in every passage and there's 22 passages. And, and uh, I think that it's really cool poetry just reading it here in our translation. And I wonder what it would be like to speak Hebrew and, and read it as a Hebrew poem. And how beautiful, I mean, it's beautiful the way they've done it here. But I think it would be uh, kind of cool to hear it, uh, how they, they would interpret that too. So, But he says it, it gives light. All we need to do is approach God's word with an open and honest heart. And he's going to do the rest. He's going to direct our lives. Uh, but sometimes we like to do the Spirit's work for him. Right, we like. I've, I've talked about this before in our ABF, and I've talked about this before. I think even when I taught, is that I had always had this relationship with God. This isn't really a tough one. I'm not going to give it to you. I'll, I'll take care of this for you because why burden you? Anybody ever ever do that? God, I know you got some other stuff on your plate. I'll handle this one. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, the strain was more than he could bear. And he hits his knees and he's praying to God saying, take it back, take it back, take it back. Oh, here's another easy one, right? It, it never stops. You never stop not ending up back on your knees praying to God. Uh, so, but we try to do the Spirit's work for him sometimes. But our job, is, our job as believers is to make more believers. We need to stand up for our faith in a way that brings others to him. We can, so this is back to my other statement. I can win a debate. I'm, I'm a pretty loud mouth guy. I talk too much. I say a lot. And I over talk people in conversations. I mean, used to. Used to. Yeah. Right? I can win a debate a lot of the times. Um, I remember I listened to a, on a radio one time where the, the uh, preacher was saying how he was working at a restaurant some, one place and he goes, I'm working at this restaurant, and there was this guy every day, and all he wanted to do was debate me on religion, debate me on religion, debate me on religion. He goes, so I went home, and I remembered the points that he was making, and so I studied up, and I studied up, and he goes, I went there the next day with both barrels loaded. And when he said something to me, man, I tore into him, and I walked away feeling pretty good about myself. He goes, and then the other guy walks up, the other waiter walks up to me, and he goes, hey, what were you guys fighting about? That is not how we win people to Christ. I can disagree with you. I can disagree with your lifestyle. But I have to give you at least a common courtesy that you are God's creation. And you need to, God loves you. God is merciful to you. God is gracious to you. Uh, why is it okay that I can accept all those all those gifts from God, but not you. Not you. Right? There has to be some balance in our lives. Uh, and it's knowing this word. It's like we've been talking about. It's, it's knowing God's goodness and God's righteousness and God's patience and his kindness in our lives. We can rely on that. Then there will be balance. The spirit of God and the desire to know God's word will give us that balance. Another way of saying that could be with Colossians 4, 6, that our speech should be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer each person. That, you know, Paul says, I become all things to all people so that some, must be, some can be saved. Now, we don't have to look like all things and look like all people and act like all people, but we must have a way to get into them. A lot of us are at work. They're still going out to work every day, and we have a spirit, a circle of influence and people that we can affect for Christ. And it is our role and it is our job to do so. 
The only way that we can do that, though, is, is, and it may mean that I have to keep my mouth shut about my politics. Because 15 people are going to be turned off. And I might win that political debate, but I'll never get to have the more important dis- discussion with somebody. And that's the discussion about Christ. Number two, desire God's word. Verses 131 through 134, he goes, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. I like that he uses the word pant, Psalm 42. I remember uh, when I was in the Marines, I, I for one, re- one reason or the other, I don't know why, but I, I started going to this church down the road and decided to be in the choir, right? So it didn't really fit the MO of this big, tough Marine uh, going all over the world, doing the things that we did, and then coming home and being in a church choir. But I loved it. And one of the songs we sang was a Psalm 42, as a deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you and I love I love that psalm and I've never forgotten that song just because of that but then here he says he pants he goes I open my mouth and pant panting is different than breathing is it not panting is different than drinking water Uh, um, he says as the deer pants for the water but as whether you're panting because you're thirsty or whether you're panting because you're just needing to catch up it's it's a breathtaking thing that you're doing because you're not sure if you're going to get enough. David Guzik said, he may be panting because he's thirsty or he may be panting because he's grasping for air, but panting always denotes desire. He's breathing it in. This is his mentality when it comes to the word of God. He's breathing it in. Every word, every word as you unfold it into my life is essential and I can't live without it. There's a deep desire or a desperation to know God deeper by studying his word. He's hiding in his heart so he doesn't sin against him. Uh, every word that he says is honoring God and worshipful of God. And I think about my language uh, and the things that I say at work. Uh, sometimes um, when you're in the heat of battle and I wonder, I wonder if people think, boy, that guy really loves the Lord. He says, guide my footsteps according to your word and let no iniquity, let no iniquity get dominion over me. So here is this psalmist. He is worshiping God the whole entire time and he's still concerned about falling short. The the definition of the word iniquity is crookedness, off the beaten path, going astray, or just evil. Even the faithful need to be concerned about falling prey to the evil in this world. For me, I feel the worst thing, the worst way evil can get a foothold in my life is through complacency. Just living my life, not minding my own business, not messing with people, hoping people don't mess with me, just trying to get through the day. That's one of the worst things for me. It reminds me of a DC talk back in the 90s, came out with this song. And at the beginning, I don't even know the whole song. I just remembered the beginning to it. And it said... Um, he goes, the single most, or the most common cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who acknowledge God with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. And that's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. When a believer is not actively pursuing God in their walk, the world can creep in. The world can creep in what we're watching on TV, what we're hearing on the radio, what we're seeing in the streets, and cause compromise. Maybe today I didn't feel like putting up the good fight. Right? That's why we need to love God's word and pant for God's word as if uh, every last second uh, or every last word in his, in his book here, in the God's word, every last word of it is something that's applicable to my life and I'm living it out. Because the minute I stop or I think I can go without studying today and, t- 
and today turns into tomorrow, and tomorrow turns into a couple weeks. Well, I did go on vacation. didn't want to bring my big Bible with me everywhere I went. Uh, my phone battery was going to die, so I was trying to keep it on. You know what I mean? We're staying out of God's word, and we're finding every excuse to justify it. it that's the time that we can be uh, swept up. And it, I'm not even talking about taking down this big, long, dark road. Like I said, it's complacency. Well, I know God. God knows me. Do I really need to put in the time, the energy, the effort? What would your wife say if you said that about her? I know my wife. She knows me. Do I really need to say hi to her today? Do I really need to hang out and put in the effort? Verse 134, he says, redeem me, right? Redeem me. So what? So that my life will be better? Redeem me, why? So I can go on with my merry way, go on with my business? No, redeem me so that I can follow you more. Not save me so that I can go on with my life and enjoy all the stuff I wanted to do, but redeem me, save me so that I can keep your precepts, so that I can have a deeper relationship with you. Is that our prayer when we're going through it? God, just rescue me from this pit of despair um, because I want to know you more. God, rescue, rescue me from whatever I'm going through uh, so that I have more time to worship you or I can get on my phone and play Candy Crush or what, what's, what's the priority? Because we always seem to have time, okay, I always seem to have time to pick up this phone and do something stupid like video games or watch some stupid video or whatever, uh, and then go, man, I just did not have time to read my Bible today. Last point in this section is be brokenhearted for the things that break the heart or the things that contradict the word of God. So Colossians 3.10, if that's true, if we have taken off our old self and its practices and put on our new self, which is being renewed in the image of our creator... And if in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, and if he has made us clean, removed our heart of stone and replaced it with one of flesh that's God-willed and not self-willed, and given us his spirit to guide and direct us according to his will, then shouldn't our hearts be broken for the offenses against God? I mean, he's crying. This psalmist is so broken by the current state of affairs He's so upset and he thinks that God should act. The only reason, you know, like I said, the only reason that God probably, quote unquote, probably, the only reason why God isn't acting is because that he's more loving, he's more kind, he's more gracious, more merciful than we can ever imagine. And the New Testament confirms that. And if God is that kind, loving, gracious, merciful to his people, and to unbelievers, because that offer is extended to all, then shouldn't we be? We're called to go into the world and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's what we need to be doing. As men, we're called to act. We're, we're called to be doing. We're called to be the leaders of our homes. We're called to be the leaders at church. We're called to be leaders in the workplace. Uh, but sometimes we don't necessarily do that. We'll pawn that roll off at our wife at the house or the church when we're busy working. Let the church and the, and the wife take care of the responsibilities of educating our kids about Jesus. 137 through 144. Righteous are you, Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever Give me understanding that I may live. He uses righteousness, right, righteous, seven times in this passage. Do you think that God's righteousness was important to the psalmist? Christianity.com says righteousness is the quality of being right in the eyes of God 
including character, nature, conscience, attitude, conduct, action, and command, word. Righteousness is therefore based upon God's standards and not our standards. We can't look to our left and right and say, well, I'm better than this guy or I'm better than that guy. It, what is God's standards? I always say, and, um, I always say basically is, is this. I can sit around and be convicted by stuff that God has in store for me, and then I fix it, and I can go, ah, I'm better. I fixed it. And then I read more, I understand more, and I go, crap. I got more work to do. Let me work on this. Oh, wait, this is slipping, right? You're never finished. We're never finished. And those little sins that we still have lurking in the background are still just the same kinds of sins that Jesus died for. Those are the same sins that we are clinging to, the, clinging to him for because he's forgiven us for them. There's always work to do. So I put, God is righteous, we are not. There's no one righteous, no not one, Romans 3, 10. Second uh, Corinthians, I'm going to try to flip my Bible one more time to a place I tabbed, and if it doesn't work, Second Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that it was in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have righteousness, not of our own accord. We have righteousness before God, not because of anything we've done. We have righteousness before God because Jesus imputed it to us. Because Jesus died on the cross and the blood of Christ covers our sins. Nothing that we have done, nothing that we're going to do, nothing that we could try to do of our own is going to be the reason that we spend eternity with our, our Savior. It is all the work of God through his son, Jesus Christ, that brings us to a right relationship with him. When the enemy stands against God, point two, be zealous for God. Zeal means an intense emotion that compels action. Zeal implies energetic and unflagging pursuit of an aim or a devotion to a cause. It's a passion, it's a fervor, it's enthusiasm. The psalmist has said, God, you're, you're righteous, your rules are right, you've appointed all your testimonies out of your righteousness and your faithfulness, and because I know that it's true, because I've seen it, I love it, and I know that it works, and it makes me even more zealous, passionate, or enthusiastic when other people forget your words. So, doesn't this kind of seem like the opposite of what we see in the world today? We see people contradicting God's word and, and we want to fight with them about it. We, I, I mean, I do. I have to deny my nature because I, I think finally at 50, I've hit a spot where I might hit a touch of maturity where I can understand that I can actually go to someone and not have to be right about everything. My wife's been saying to me for years, you know you don't have to be right about everything. <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But you don't, you know, and, and I, I think you could tell my theme here is that we have to know how to approach people to bring them to Christ. Right? My passion, I, I work, at work I have uh, over 80 apprentices that work for me and they're coming from all walks of life and and you know what I've seen it all from from suicides to drug overdoses to bad marriages to fill in the blank and I I'm no longer just a teacher I'm also a counselor I'm also a mentor I'm also a preacher and I have so much opportunities over the last 6 years of my life if not 27 years over my life uh, to be involved in people's lives who are hurting and if I wanted to win a debate with them about Jesus, I can do that every day of the week. I want to win them to Jesus. They need to know the Lord because the pain in their life doesn't go away just because they sit in my office and talk to me about it. 
The pain goes away when you embrace the foot of the cross and you know that Jesus has died for all this mess that you're going through. And when you understand that you live before a righteous God, then your things that are going on in your life somehow are still a plan that's drawn, drawing you to him. That's what I want people to know. But I love to debate. I love to debate. I want to argue with people. I want to show you how smart I am. He says, my zeal consumes me because your enemies forget your word. Um, the world doesn't know the Lord. That's kind of an understatement, right? If they don't know the Lord, though, it's kind of some of our fault. It makes the psalmist want to kick it up a notch, though. That's what I think is crazy, is he's like, the world doesn't know this is time to go to work. Right? So therefore, I want more. My zeal is consuming me because the world doesn't know you. My fervor for you, Lord, is going to kick up a notch every time somebody says they don't know you. Doesn't that make you want to roll up your sleeves and go to work? The more he sees how messed up the world is, the more he wants to obey God's laws because he knows that God is righteous and faithful and consistent in his character. So I think about this subject tonight. I think you can tell that, that my passion is uh, just reaching people. We need to be, but, but we have to have what we put out there be put out there in a way that we can reach people effectively. And I know I've, I've said it a lot, and I'm, it's because I mean it. And I think that this is what God was telling me as I'm preparing for this lesson. No matter what, it just keeps coming back to the fact that as believers, we want to win people to Christ. And if we're going to win people to Christ, we have to show them that it is a better way. And we can't just tell them, especially if you're, you're like me and you want to be combative sometimes. We have to show them that the word of God is alive and active, right? Sharper than any double-edged sword. We have to tell them that, hey, sooner or later, someday, we will all have to give an account. And I don't, I don't ever want anybody to misunderstand when I say, say this is because I am not saying alter God's word. I'm saying is take God's word to somebody uh, and show them his mercy and his kindness and his love and his compassion that he has for us. Because if, if he's given that to us, that's something we should be able to pass on. Right? So, I've been teaching in our ABF out of the book of Judges. And, uh, there's a reason why God told the Israelites to go in there and take over when he was sending them to the promised land because of the bad influences. The reason they had so much trouble after the, afterwards was because uh, they weren't obedient to what God had requested of them. All the other nations brought with them their foreign gods, their, their problems, their false practices, and in 300 years, less than 300 years, Israel had already forgotten what they were supposed to be doing and who, how to worship God and how to love God. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Moral relativism. Uh, sounds familiar, right? I mean, our world is doing what is right in their own eyes. So aren't we supposed to be standard bearers? We need to be out there and we need to be on the front lines and we need to be standing in the gap because our, our wives, our kids, our grandkids, our cousins, our brothers, our uncles, our aunts, our sisters, moms, dads, whoever you want to talk about are going to be influenced by this. Because people I love who are older than I am are calling me and saying, so what do you think about this? I'm like, well, God's word says that should be our first spot, right? God's word says this. If you're asking... Yeah, but don't you think everybody has a right to be happy? Do you have a right to be happy? Yeah, in, in Jesus, right? In the victory of Jesus, there's your happiness. Everything else is relative because everybody redefines their idea of happiness 
some other way. The last one, your word brings life. So keep your eye on the prize. The, uh, the psalmist has two opinions. Uh, we're seeing, first of all, he's acting out of humility. He has a low opinion of himself. He says, I'm small and I'm despised. So he's saying that I have a low opinion of myself and the world has a low opinion of me. They hate me. But I, just, but I don't forget your word. What's cool is that even though that's his spot, right? That's not his pit of despair. He says, I don't forget your words. He has a high opinion of God. He goes, your righteousness is eternal and it's true. And no matter what happens to me, your commands are my delight. So my question for you guys before we go to discussion, and uh, is, it's just this. Do we have God in his rightful place in our lives? And are we in the rightful place? Because too often, and I, I know too often I put myself above everything that I got going on in my life. As believers, we need to constantly be knowing where God is in our lives. And if we don't have him in our right place, all that other stuff is hard to follow. It's hard to love his word. Well, why? Because I got other stuff going on. I'm busy. So do we have God in his rightful place in our lives? Are we in ours? And remember, God remembers that we are but dust. And I don't, don't have a lot of time to go into, the jo- into Job, but remember, Job and his friends were, were arguing with each other about what Job did wrong. And Job says, well, if God were here, I would just ask him. And then God shows up. Did Job say another word? Where were you when I set the four pillars of the earth? Uh, right? Nothing. Yeah. Why? Because Job had forgotten his place. We forget our place. I forget my place. It's easy to do. Uh, and thank God that he is gracious and merciful and forgiving. Uh, because I'm a numbskull. And I need that grace every day. The psalmist was in trouble and he could have been asking God for deliverance. Instead, he's asking God for understanding. Asking him for understanding so that he can live with the peace that he is living out his life in the will of God. So I got, I got three questions for you. And we got, I'd say it would take about 10 minutes. All right, so, but the three questions are this. And they're really good questions to take home and just write out also. So, but it's, do you know God's words enough do you know God's word enough to be able to detect false doctrines? Is your heart broken when you see people operating apart from God? And does the absence of God's word in our society drive you to want to do more? And I don't know. I just read those. And I don't know that those are great, that great a discussion questions. I think those are more take those home and think about questions. What do you think? But why don't we take 10 minutes and we'll just talk about it. And then uh, I'll come back up and we'll dismiss. All right, guys. I hope we have some good time and discussion there. Uh, I just want to wrap up and I just want to say, you know, this psalmist is constantly talking about God's laws and his commands and his precepts and his word and how much he loves it. And I can tell you, uh, we have a much easier way to go with our lives compared to what this guy is going through. And yet we still sometimes find ourselves struggling on how to be successful in this world um, as followers of Christ. So as I just like to finish, just to just remind you that like, as believers, we need to go. And we need to take this message to people. They need to see the kindness, the graciousness, the love, the mercy, the faithfulness of God. That's our job, to carry that. Jesus also said if you go somewhere and they're not receiving the message, then you dust off your sandals and you move on. We never want to get ourselves trapped into a spot where we're not able to show the love of Christ 
because we're getting worked up. And as dudes, we can tend to puff our chests up and get worked up a little easy. Uh, and then we're never going to do justice to God's word. So I just challenge you, I challenge you to take, take God's word, take it into the workplaces and, and be broken for these people in this world who are struggling and be broken for those people in this world and be broken when, when people are, are contradicting God's word and when people are being insolent and, and people who know God, uh, but find a way, find a way to reach them instead of just winning the argument. Because we can walk away, both people can walk away feeling like they've won an argument. Uh, and nobody wins. And especially if, if the job is to get them to know Christ and we walk away and they don't know Christ, but we feel pretty good about ourselves. Right. I pray that you guys all have a good night, uh, safe trip. So let me pray. Uh, let me pray for us and we'll close this out. Father, we're so thankful for your word. God, we love it. We love your commands, we love your word, we love your precepts, we love your rules and laws. Um, we love that your word applies to our lives. We love how much there is in there and how deep it is. And we're so thankful, God, that uh, you have given us this word. We know that this psalmist had a few books during his time. Uh, and we have the full complement of scripture, Lord. And we pray, we pray for the desire, we pray for your spirit to convict and direct so that we're constantly in your word and we're studying it and we're loving it and we're living it. Father, we ask that you would just direct our footsteps according to your word, direct our lives, Lord. I pray for a safe trip home for each and every man here, Lord. I pray for strength uh, for us to act out in faith in this world, even though it's contrary to culture, Lord. I pray that your people would uh, come together and be an influence into our culture, be an influence into our society. For too long, Lord, as, as men, uh, we have allowed the mentality of these people uh, to have different opinions and just go, hey, yeah, well, as long as, it doesn't, as long as it doesn't affect me. Well, Lord, now they're coming. This society is coming. They're coming for our beliefs. They're coming for our values. And Father, I pray that as men of God, that we can stand up against it. I thank you so much, Lord, and I thank you for this night. In your son's name, amen.